From Utility Dive Studios in Washington, D.C., it's the Electric Power Station. I'm your host, Gavin Bade, and today we're talking with Utility Dive Associate Editor Catherine Morehouse about her visit to the Peeler Ranch, the most contaminated coal ash site in the nation. And welcome to EPS. We're back at it in the Utility Dive Studios in Washington, D.C., and I'm joined today by my esteemed colleague. It's our Associate Editor, Miss Catherine Morehouse. Catherine, welcome back to the Electric Power Station. Thank you, Gavin. It's great to be here, as well, always. Well, veteran EPS listeners, as you reference, will remember Catherine from her sage state policy insights a couple months ago on the program. But we have her back in the studio today to talk about a new reporting project that she's d- just completed, and it's on a subject that's near and dear to our hearts at Utility Dive. That is coal ash. Catherine, you visited one of the most contaminated coal ash sites in the country, the Peeler Ranch outside of El Paso, Texas. You've got a big piece out about it. It's multimedia. We have videos in there, interviews with the uh, with the people who own the ranch there. Give us the rundown. What did this spot look like when you got there? Where is it? Give us the uh, the lay of the land of the Peeler Ranch. Yeah, so it's actually, well, according to an Earth Justice report, it is the most contaminated site in the country. Um, and it was, it was really striking. Um, just, I had never been to a coal plant at all, let alone a coal ash, you know, facility. Um, so one of the, the first thing we did was we were driving over these old coal mines that hadn't been in operation for about a decade. And the thing that struck me was, first of all, the, the mining area is unregulated and they were just, it was hundreds of feet of fly ash that we were literally driving over and I couldn't even keep the camera steady. All my, all my video is so shaky. Um, but just we're driving over mountains of coal ash that's been piling up for decades. Um, and then we went over to the ponds, um, which are, that's where they actually store the coal ash. Um, well, they, they store in the mines and in the ponds and, there, what struck me was, so the, the ponds were above, above the ground that we were standing on and you could just, you could see water seeping through the ground. The, the land was kind of like a cracked gray, white, um, just really clear signs of pollution. Um, and you don't often get that kind of access to, uh, coal ash contamination areas, contaminated areas like that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what the Peeler Ranch is, right, and why you were able to get such access to coal ash disposal facilities. From my understanding, this is a ranch that uh, the Peeler family, they had leased a portion of their land to this electric cooperative, the San Miguel Electric Cooperative. And they were doing a number of things on there. They were mining for coal before, um, but now they're also disposing of coal ash on that property. Can you, you know, what's the kind of situation there with the ranch? Yeah, so the the land was leased to the San Miguel Electric Co-op uh, in 1975. Uh, the plant was built um, shortly after, and they they mined on the land. You know, they they had permission to mine on the land and to um, build this plant. And so now they're they're doing you know what you do when you operate a coal plant, which is you you have to dispose of the coal ash somewhere, um, and that's the the coal ash is the discharge that comes from burning coal. Um, and so what they're doing is similar to what, you know, coal plant owners across the country are doing is putting it in these, uh, ponds and then also dumping it into the old mining areas. The difference between those two places is the, the ponds are regulated under federal, uh, coal combustion residual rules. 
and the mining areas are not regulated. Um, and I want to get to those those federal coal combustion rules in a little bit here. Um, but just for people who may not be familiar with the topic of coal ash, give us a little bit of background on this. This is it's kind of like if you have a charcoal grill and you burn those charcoal briquettes, you get kind of the ash left over, right? Similarly, when you burn coal on an industrial scale for electricity generation, you get a lot of ash left over and you have to do something with it, right? Um, what do they do with it at the Peeler Ranch and what do they do with it elsewhere? Yeah, so what they what they do with it and what they've been doing with it for a really long time is they, they take this dry ash, um, which like you said is just like charcoal, just leftover dry ash, and they uh, water it down and they mix it with they water. mix it with water. Yeah, thank you. They mix it with water, and it becomes really, really heavy. And so, uh, often, and for a long time, there weren't a lot of requirements around where they actually stored this this kind of sludge. And keep in mind, these are really toxic chemicals. So it's it's a lot of heavy metals, arsenic. Um, not great things. <laughs> and so what what they did with it was they there was just no regulation about what they did with it. So that sludge would just kind of weigh down into these really um, these holes in the ground, essentially. Um, and th- there started to be a lot of concerns around those ponds, because when they were online, what would happen is you have this liquid substance with a lot of toxic chemicals that's able to just kind of start leaching out and seeping into surrounding areas because there's there's nothing preventing it from doing that. It's a liquid. Yeah, when you say unlined, you mean they're putting this coal ash sludge, this slurry, into pits, which usually don't have anything separating the coal ash from the ground beneath. Maybe mm-hmm. a clay layer, you yeah. know what I mean? Maybe a piece of clay, um, but not... As we see now, more advanced techniques, mm-hmm. maybe like a you know some sort of plastic covering or something like that. A lot of these places are online; they're just earth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in some cases, they would use clay. Um, and you know, as environmentalists started raising more concerns about the dangers of how this the substance was stored, um, then there started to be more regulation around it. Um, and so, so now you see, and there also regulations. There, you know, there are these really big spills, which we can get into later. Um, but now, what you see is the ideal situation is you keep this ash in a fully lined plastic uh, container of sorts, so that it's not able to seep into surrounding groundwater, and then you cap the top so that the the fly ash off the top isn't able to blow anywhere. Um, but that's that's not really the case in most parts of the country, and certainly not the case here. And at this specific ranch, it's it's clay lined, and the concern with the clay liner, and this one's been around for you know like thirty years or so. Um, so there there's evidence that there's likely cracks in that lining. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see you can see water seeping out the the way that the Peeler family first kind of realized that all of this was happening is they were flying overhead, and it was. Uh, a Texas fall, very, very hot, very dry. Um, and there was water all over this portion of the land where there shouldn't have been. And they, they realized it was very obviously downhill from where the, the ponds are, which raised concerns, you know. When you say the water. ponds, you mean the, po- the coal ash storage the coal ponds. Ash storage ponds, And yeah. so these are on higher ground. It's actually very striking in the videos in your piece that we've gotten to see. The coal ash ponds are a little bit higher ground than this portion of the ranch that you're walking around on. And you can actually see something leaching, liquid leaching out from the higher ground and going to lower ground. 
And it's funny, he says, you know, oh, this is always here, even when it's really dry. Um, but it's not just the coal ash pond that the peelers have to contend with on their property, right? The San Miguel is disposing of ash in the pond, but they also have disposed of ash in the old coal mines, correct? And that's some of the most striking video I think you have in the piece is like you can see the fly ash just piling up and out of these old abandoned mines. Um, it, it's just, it was just really striking to see. Yeah, and that's that was one of the more striking things to see on the ground as well. And I, I think, again, the really interesting thing there is that those mines are not federally regulated. And, you know, Jason Peeler uh, told me that he was like, it's it's worse. What you see up here is bad, but what is underground is even worse. Things that we can't see are even worse. And he said, you know, it stretches hundreds of feet underground uh you can you can see it in a mountain in the videos you can see it in kind of a mountain type form stretching over this this old um pond area but um again the striking thing there is that those (laughs) i can't stress this enough is that that is a completely unregulated way to store these chemicals and one of one of the things that i uh, something that I came across as I was talking to other people, you know, about about coal ash, was talking specifically with Lisa Evans of Earth Justice, and she started pointing to these uh, filings from the American Coal Ash Association, which shows shows uh, keeps track of where utilities uh, store their coal ash year by year. Um, and it, she pointed me to a really big uptick in. Um, a decently big uptick in in utilities dumping their coal ash in mining areas since the 2015 federal rules. And we can go into what the 2015 federal rules are, but... Absolutely, yeah. And just before we do that, I want to give the listeners an idea of just how contaminated this place is, right? We're talking about not just one or two contaminants. I mean, coal ash, as listeners will know, can contain any number of heavy metals, whether it's arsenic or lead cadmium things that can both affect like you know human brain development and really critical functions like that and then also things that just affect you you know can give you skin uh skin like rashes and other skin problems and things like that so give us a little bit of you know how contaminated is this place yeah so i'll run down kind of the list of there there are 12 total contaminants um that were found to be at some level above federally safe levels um and okay that, like 12 just give us the highlights that's a ton yeah, yeah. i'm not i won't run through all of them <laughs> I, I was gonna run through you know the top few so so the worst is uh cobalt which is uh reporting at 522 times above safe levels and that is associated with blood disease and thyroid damage um then you also have cadmium and beryllium, both both reporting at over 100 times safe levels. And beryllium is associated with lung damage and pneumonia. Cadmium is uh, associated with kidney damage and is a, a likely carcinogen, according to the EPA. Mm-hmm. And um, when you say above safe levels, right, this is above EPA drinking water standards, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. According to the Earth Justice Report. Yes. Right. But the Earth but Justice yeah, Report is based on filings that utilities gave the Environmental Protection Agency on their own, correct? Yes. And that has to do with the 2015 coal combustion residual rules. We keep going, we keep kind of dancing around this subject. And yeah. I think maybe we should just yeah. go into it now, you know? Yeah. Um, these coal combustion residual rules, federal rules, put finalized in 2015, they were the first federal regulations on coal ash ever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
tell us, you know, what they, you know, what was in those rules? What did they make utilities do? So what those rules do is they, they require utilities to test, uh, test their collage ponds and test the area around uh, the groundwater around those ponds for, um, elevated contamination levels. And that is having to do with concerns, uh, that constituents had after the Tennessee Valley Authority devastating spill in 2008, 2009, the Kingston coal, ash the Kingston spill. coal ash spill. Um, and Duke energy also dealt with the Dan river, the Dan, Dan, river, Dan spill. river spill yep, in absolutely. 2014. Um, and so the EPA I believe it was 2012. Was it not? I think it was 2014. That's what the Google's for. Uh, I'll get on there. Okay. okay. We keep going. And I'll, <laughs> I'll fact check us in real time here. Okay, great. Um, so anyways, yeah, the, the EPA under the Obama administration set these rules that said, you know, you need to, utilities need to file these groundwater um, monitoring filings uh, and they, they need to be publicly available. Um, and if, if utilities exceed certain groundwater levels, um, contamination levels, uh, then, then there are kind of steps beyond that. Um, and did you find it? You got me. Ha <laughs> ha. February 2014. Of course. Of course. This is why you're the expert, Catherine. <laughs> but go on. Okay. So the EPA, the, the, the CCR rule, coal combustion residuals rule, it set mandatory testing mm -hmm. for around coal ash facilities. You have to say, okay, test the groundwater around. Are there elevated levels of coal ash contaminants, the things that we're talking about mm -hmm. here? Um, and then if there were elevated levels, what did you have to do? Then essentially, I mean, it requires more testing. It's uh, it's kind of it's a they're just you know smaller steps beyond that. Like eventually, 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 it might lead to um, you having to clean up your collage ponds, um, but not necessarily immediately upon finding contamination. Yeah, it's complex because it was this rule was then again amended. Um, by uh, by the Win Act at the end mm -hmm. of 2016, right, and it actually allowed the EPA to set minimum standards for the states for coal ash disposal. So actually, the Congress actually strengthened this at the end of the Obama administration. But then, when Donald Trump and his EPA come into office, they tried to roll it back, right? Right. So what's going on with it right now? So right now, it's a very interesting story because. What the Trump EPA is doing is they're saying at the, you know, utilities put in a lot of requests uh, to the EPA to say, you know, we need more time on these filings. We, we want the timelines more extended and a little, basically they just want more flexibility. Um, and the EPA said, okay, you got it. And, um, but now we're actually seeing case. So this earth justice report that, uh, that first name the site this this was the first compilation of all of the groundwater filings from across the country from utilities across the country and it showed these very high this very high level of contamination based on those filings um which was really alarming to a lot of environmentalists and now we're in a place where you you see very obviously that there is high levels of contamination across the country. I think it's 91% of coal ash plants in the country. Uh, 
But then at the same time, you have this federal rule that's very much in flux and it's unclear if timelines are going to change, at what point utilities are going to have to really do anything essentially to address the contamination. So let's go back over the timeline here because I think it's important. So you Mm -hmm. have the 2015 rule is finalized. um, And then actually last year, you know, it was kind of the deadline for people to file these groundwater reports in the middle of the summer last year with the EPA, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all these utilities and they're filing these groundwater reports. But shortly after that, the EPA says, we're actually going to roll back the regulation. So instead of having the EPA set minimum standards for coal ash disposal in the states, they rolled it back. They extended the timelines for testing. They extended the timelines for compliance. And they said, at the end of the day, we're going to let the states determine the minimum standards for coal ash disposal, right? Mm-hmm. So you went from a relatively strong, at least a you know something that had federal enforcement power to something that really puts the impetus back on states and really puts the ball back in the utilities court to show coal ash contamination. It was striking. I mean, we really, we did a lot of reporting around how the rule came out and it was, mm-hmm. I mean, to be frank, it was as if the EPA just copied and pasted, you know, the, uh, the utilities coal ash comments and put it in there, the coal, uh, the, the ones from UARG and all of them. So, you know, it was, now we're in a place where you have this rolled back, regulation but there was a court case as well last year right Mm -hmm. so you have the rolled back regulation and then what happened at the dc circuit i was just going to say lest we forget about the dc circuit uh federal court of appeals decision which which said that the obama era rules did not go far enough in protecting groundwater from this contamination so you have that ruling and then you have all these filings that come out saying yeah, contamination is really high. And then you have what what you just described the Trump administration doing. So it's it's there's definitely a lot at play at the federal level and across the country with yeah. the clash. You had the original rule, it got rolled back, and then the court, the second highest court in the country, said, well, the original rule wasn't even strong enough. So yeah. now we're kind of waiting for briefs on that and we'll see how that shakes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, judicially but it's definitely a a time of great uncertainty for utilities and Mm -hmm. i know that you know this is this becomes a question in state proceedings right we Mm -hmm. just were reporting on indiana where nipsco and vectrin they want to close down their coal generators and they Mm -hmm. want to switch them to natural gas and renewables well one of the one of the aspects of that decision was the compliance costs with Mm -hmm. the ccr rule And you saw people, you actually saw Scott Pruitt, the disgraced, scandal-ridden former head of the EPA. He went to Indiana and he was arguing to legislators and arguing to regulators, well, we put this rollback in place, so you shouldn't approve any upgrades or you shouldn't make any decision based on the compliance costs for the CCR rule or any other EPA rules because they might be rolled back. Now, of course, the utilities at the end of the day said, well, it doesn't really matter. Gas and renewables are cheaper and a better long-term play. So, I mean, that effort failed. But it definitely has, you know, we see these these rollback decisions have impacts on the state level as well as the federal level. And you see people using these decisions to try to keep aging coal generators online. So mm-hmm. I just thought we would make that point. It's not just all academic stuff in Washington. These things can have big policy impacts on the state and local level. Well, and and I think to take it back on more of a personal note, I I think an interesting thing about coal ash regulation is that for utilities and for regulators, it's often kind of a, you know, it's it's, it's a checkbook game. 
you know, how much is it going to cost for us to keep in line with these regulations? How much, how much is this type type of cleanup going to cost? How much is it going to cost ratepayers? And that's not, not to discount any of that, not to say that's not important, but for example, in Illinois, where I was speaking with someone about their, the a hundred percent renewable bill that they have going forward. And they, this, this group had spent all this time going across the state. And one of the top issues for constituents, one of the top things they were concerned about was coal ash contamination. And you see the same thing in North Carolina. It's, it's for people, for actual, con- it, it's just, it's such a big impact for people who live near these facilities. And it's just, we don't hear often enough about that side of it. And that's why, you know, getting to talk to this one family was really was really impactful, but it's also, you know, this is happening across the country. It's just important to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I wanted to ask you about that next. How, how typical is the Peeler situation? You know, is this situation compared to other coal plants across the country? Well, it's very unique because first, so the Peelers have this huge expanse of land. um, And like we said before, the, the San Miguel electric cooperative, they, um, they're they're a lease portion on a lease portion of that land, and so the peelers have full access to that land. Um, you know, they again they have a lot of space, um, but you you definitely see across the country where coal ash or where coal plants are in areas that the the families nearby don't have the luxury of getting to go check out and make their own measurements and see you know what what's going on. In terms of drinking water, they have to rely on the utilities. They have to rely on state regulators. They have to rely on other people to make those measurements for them. So that's when it—that's when I think it gets scary and very real for people when when they don't know what what's going on with their drinking water and what's going on with their wells. Which again, often rural areas are areas that you know they're it's their well in their backyard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I see this with. You know, I'm from Western Michigan, and I see this with my communities back home, right? Like, I have friends who have well water north of our town, and it's right near a big power plant that's run by Consumers Energy. And, you know, we checked all of the, we checked the EPA compliance filings, and we found, oh, wow, there are heavy metals, there's beryllium, there's cadmium, there's things like that that are leaking into the river that feeds the groundwater that my friend's family has always gotten their 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 house water from, you know? And so I'm like, Nick, you better go and, like, get a home testing kit, you know? And luckily, I don't think they've found anything. Um, but these are, you know, this is something that communities across the nation have to contend with, right? Mm-hmm. But let's get back to the peelers in particular, right? Mm-hmm. We have San Miguel. They, ha- they make these filings with the EPA that show that their place is the most contaminated, by these environmentalist estimates, but quite contaminated just by showing the filings, you know. And so, what do they have to say to for themselves that they have all of this contamination on this land? And again, it goes kind of back to I mean, they say what utilities across the country are saying, and they say, you know, to some extent, you know, they admit that there is groundwater contamination and the, you know, the additional testing, they're going to continue looking into it. That kind of they have that additional testing um, flexibility that, again, utilities across the country have. And then the second thing they say is that, well, we don't know how much of this is naturally occurring. And that's that's a huge, definitely a huge thing that you hear um, is some of these contaminants could be naturally occurring at elevated levels. 
Okay, but like if you look at the chart in your piece, right, it seems pretty difficult to imagine that all of those 12 contaminants would be naturally occurring at the levels that have been tested around, <clears throat> excuse me, around these coal ash disposal facilities. Like what literally what is their argument to you? So, I mean, it is those two arguments. One thing that they are able to do and that utilities are able to do is this alternate uh, alternate source testing. Um, and what San Miguel did is, according to the Peeler's lawyer, Mary Whittle, is they um, they tested another part of the land that they're on and said and and went back and said, well, you also see you also see these constituents occurring at high levels um, at this part of the land. And again, they don't they don't expressly say this to me, but I had emailed responses from them, but they you, they don't expressly say this to me. But what the Peeler's lawyer told me was they're comparing these two things that are the same, essentially, because they're they're able to just go to another part of the land, a, a part of the land that's not under federal regulation. So, you know, there's no way for anyone to say there's no way for someone in Washington, D.C. to say, well, but that's also a contaminated portion of the land. No, it's it's not near the pond, so it's not contaminated. And they compare those two things and say, well, both these places have the same levels of these constituents, so therefore it's all naturally occurring. It had to do with the mines, right? Right? Yeah. It was like they, the if memory serves from your reporting, it was like the peeler, like they did the testing around the coal ash ponds, which are the ones that are regulated under the rule. The ponds are regulated. But the, and then they showed, oh my God, we have elevated levels. So they say under the rule, okay, if you have elevated levels, they, there's a provision that allows you to go back and do more testing. Mm -hmm. And we've seen not just San Miguel do this. We've seen TVA do this with a bunch of their coal plants. We talked about it in our episode with Shalina Chetlani mm -hmm. a, few, a few months ago. So you're allowed to go back and do this additional testing, mm -hmm. right? But if memory serves, what the peelers say is that San Miguel just went and they said, oh, well, we won't take a sample from near the pond. We'll just take a sample from near the coal mine that's stacked with coal ash, right? So there was already a ton of ash there from the peelers telling. And they just say, oh, well, look, it's, there's contamination over here. There's contamination over there. Oh, it's all equal. It must be naturally occurring. When the peelers say, it's just because the whole place you tested is just kind of coated with ash and all the contaminants. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, so there's been mining across all the peelers land. That's why I say, you know, that they, they just test another portion of the land because really what the peelers would say is all of their land is contaminated. So for you to go to another spot on the land near the mines, um, near really anywhere that you have been mining, which is everywhere, um, and compare these two things, then that's that's where the the source the alternate source demonstration seems to perhaps have a hole. So it seems a little cold to say this, but like they leased the land to San Miguel, right? Like, mm -hmm. what right do they have to go back and say like, oh, you messed it up? So the co-op promised them, uh, and it promised, I believe. It promised uh, Alonzo Peeler, who's the Jason Peeler's father, that they would restore the land to its original condition. And I think, you know, for us in the utility industry, it's it's difficult for us to, under, to maybe understand. But I, I think for most people who maybe just don't know what the full impact of mining and what the full impact of coal ash storage and what the full impact of just 
Cole looks like, it's hard. It's it's hard to for them to imagine, you know, our land will never that that's a moot promise, basically, that 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 promise won't be able to be kept. So they they you know, they never really checked the land um, because they, they trusted this company and just kind of said, you know, they they promised that they would restore it to its original condition. And now they're beginning to see, you know, that might not happen. Right. And I mean, it's not like this is right in their backyard. They have a, it's a big Texas ranch. They have a lot of land. Right. And so they a little portion of it they gave over and they said, OK, well, you know, we'll see it in a few years, you know. And it's interesting. The start of your article is they noticed it because they were taking they were flying over the ranch, as you said. And they said, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that corner, that looks a little bit odd. Um, and I really just I encourage listeners to go and read, you know, your entire piece on on the Peeler Ranch and watch those videos and look at the photos of, you know, some of the aerial photos of what that corner of the land looks like, what that portion does. Because, I mean, um, I, I'm not really so familiar with the topography of greater El Paso, Texas, but I don't think it includes San Antonio, San Antonio. I'm sorry. I've said El Paso a couple of times, haven't I? No, I don't think you said it before. Well, know. in Maybe. any case, <laughs> it is outside of San Antonio. I'm not sure of the topography, but I don't think it includes the uh, swirling silver decals that you can see all across the land from the from the aerial photos, right? There's pretty clear physical impact of, of the industrial activity there, right? Yeah, definitely. And again, that's why actually being on this land and actually seeing the impact of what coal ash storage looks like uh, in its many forms was very powerful and very, um, it, it was a lot. Absolutely. And I think it was, it's especially interesting to me to talk to, to listen about how Jason Peeler's feelings about coal ash and analysis of the situation has changed over time because, you know, here's a conservative guy, politically and temperamentally, it seems conservative, who, you know, wouldn't normally appeal to national environmental groups and the federal Mm -hmm. government for help. But he said, look, like, man, it's just such a big problem. And he says no one else has been taking it seriously. I just, what was your impression of of the family and and him personally? Yeah, he, I mean, I, first of all, it was, it was so great of them to, you know, allow me to spend the day with them and give me this tour. Um, and I, one thing he did say to me at one point, he said, you know, I, it's, it's embarrassing for my dad and for me. Um, but really for my dad who, you know, his, this is, he's the steward of this land. This is our land. This is the land that we care about and take care of, um, to see how badly it's been polluted. And another really interesting point he made was, you know, we, as ranchers, we tend to be a little bit more conservative, but the thing that I don't get is how we, again, as ranchers who spend all our days thinking about how we can, you know, manipulate the land to give us more of what we want, to give us more crops, to give us more of whatever, how can we say that we don't have an impact when we do? Um, and he he also, <laughs> he gave, he said at one point, I, I never thought that my dad or I at this age would be, you know, asking Earth Justice and Sierra Club for their help, but here we are. Um, and yeah, just definitely, definitely, uh, a very personal, um, and issue for them that they're very passionate about. It sounds like 
you said the situation was very unique. It sounds more like access to the situation was unique for you because they had the land. But it doesn't sound like this is entirely different from other coal ash situations I've heard. I mean, I'll harken back again to our interview with Shalina Chatlani and mm-hmm. her experiences with the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority coal ash facilities. Mm-hmm. It sounds like people are dealing with a lot of similar issues all throughout the nation. Um, has that been your experience in your reporting? Yeah, I mean, I think what was unique about this is is the fact that we were able to see the basically what no utility would have showed us i i what was unique is that we were getting a guided tour from someone who was not trying to cover anything up or you know he wanted us to see what was the the most polluted the worst side of coal ash storage and coal ash ponds and um you don't usually get that kind of access so i think I think it's worrisome that it's not unique. It's the again the access was unique, but the the situation itself isn't. Like like we said you mine dumping has increased. I it's hard to imagine that there are not many more places in the country that look this way that we don't get to see. Well, we see the filings and we see that the contamination is widespread, right? Um so even if we don't know if we don't have photos of each and every facility, we don't have access, we can't go walk, you know, over the ash facilities themselves, as Shalina got to do, as you got to do. Um, We know that the contamination is elsewhere in the U.S., and other communities are dealing with this. And I think it's important to note, right, just as they weren't trying to hide anything, of course, the Peelers have a lawsuit against San Miguel, and they, you know, have an interest in showing you the coal ash contamination on their sites, right? However, you also as any journalist would, reach out to San Miguel. They had an opportunity to give you a tour, They had an oppor- and they had an opportunity to speak to you, and they opted for written responses, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so I just want people to know that, you know, we're not just going to what some people would consider the darlings of an environmental movement, because Earth Justice has put them out front in some of these campaigns and had people talk to them and stuff like that. Like, obviously, we're trying to do a balanced job. Um, but... I encourage people to go and watch the videos and see the images and they tell their own story. Um, And I think that obviously you have done Yeoman's work on reporting on this. Um, I just want to expand it out a little bit. You don't just report on coal ash in Texas. You don't just report on coal ash at all. Um, But we've seen a lot of other moves in other states. You know, what's kind of the what's the lay of the land, not just in Texas, but in recent coal ash activity? Well, there. Virginia uh, earlier this year uh, ordered Dominion to completely excavate all its coal ash ponds. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Similarly, uh, North Carolina's Department of Environmental Quality uh, ordered Duke Energy to completely excavate all its ponds. Um, the the big difference there is that Dominion base support. Um, once the bill was signed by the governor, came out in support of it. Said. Basically, we get it. Okay, but <laughs> Dominion did not support this bill and has fought for years, if not decades, against stringent requirements for coal ash disposal. I mean, I understand what yeah. you're saying. They did issue those statements and stuff like that. You're, but, you know, st- take, if I can take a step back as the guy who doesn't cover it every day, we all yeah. know that Dominion didn't want to do that stuff. Um, 
and the and the and it's because it's expensive, right? Like we see this elsewhere, and like no one can begrudge utilities of this. It will cost it costs millions, if not billions, of dollars to for a large utility to move all their coal ash to line facilities. That's a reality, right? The contamination is also a reality. Um, so sorry, I interrupted you, but we have that in Virginia. I know there's other things going on. Yeah, and the reason I the reason I say that about Dominion is because you know. I haven't covered them for years, but, you know, despite years of back and forth between the state and the utility, as you see in many states, um, essentially they gave in. Uh, And in North Carolina, it's a little bit of a different story where Duke Energy has not given in. And they are um, they appealed last week and we are in May. Um, they they appealed last week the DEQ's order, and there's the Department of Envi- of Environmental Quality, correct? Yes. DEQ, yes. Just for yeah, go ahead. I just spoke. I did my first reference. Uh, <laughs> 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 doesn't work like that in radio, go does on. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The DEQ, gotcha. North yep. Carolina DEQ. Yeah. Anyways, uh, and there's I mean there's definitely a lot more going on with North Carolina. Basically. I, I think the story is that, you know, I guess to go back to backtrack what I said before, Dominion went quietly, Duke Energy is not. And there's, so they filed an appeal with the DEQ. We also have a lot going on in terms of rates and who's going to pay and how is it going to be paid and all of this. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a piece last week that, uh, really kind of tried to go into that a little bit more. Um, there's a lot to go into. I don't know how much you want to get into it. Well, I think that, you know, we could we could sit here and talk about North Carolina for an entire other episode. Um, but for now, all I will say is, if you are interested in these coal ash topics, you should follow Catherine Morehouse on Twitter and follow her reporting at Utility Dive, because Ashcat is out here <laughs> reporting on all things that have to do with combustion residuals. Um, that is so, true. <laughs> that is absolutely true. And I think that there are there are states, you know, we've seen a lot of action in Virginia. We've seen a lot of action in North Carolina. This spot that you reported on is in Texas. But coal ash is everywhere. We've seen mm-hmm. a lot of action in Tennessee. But the other places that are going to come up, there's a lot of coal ash facilities in Georgia, in Alabama, mm-hmm. in out west. Anywhere there was a coal plant, they did something with the coal ash, right? Um so this is a kind of slow roll environmental issue across the entire United States. And I think that, you know, it's something that we're going to report on a lot in the future um, and something that's going to keep you busy for months, if not years on end. Looking forward to it all. Well, Kat, I think it's just so important that we have reporters, not just on the local level, but also in industry that shine a critical light on these issues and really hold utility statements uh, to scrutiny and hold their feet to the fire on this. So I know the Peeler family appreciated you, appreciated you coming out there and shining a light on the issues, uh, and we certainly do at Utility Dive as well. So congratulations on a great feature, um, and thank you for being on the Electric Power Station. Thanks for having me. And that's the Electric Power Station from Utility Dive. Remember that you can keep up with all the headlines on coal ash and everything else related to the energy transition by signing up for our daily newsletter. That's at utilitydive.com slash sign up. Until next time, this is EPS, and I'm Gavin Bade.